Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. One more time, this is John Russin uh, with my dear friend Frank Friedman, and we are picking up where we left off last time with brother Steve Pettit from the wonderful state of Florida. Steve, how are you today, sir? I am very well, John. Thank you. And thanks for joining us. Uh, Frank, you alive and well. Is it raining in South Louisiana or is it a nice day today? <laughs> it's abnormally sunny. <laughs> <laughs> well, sunny is about the only weather we have out here in Arizona. So uh, uh, it's become almost commonplace. So, well, folks, we encourage you to pick up the last episode of the podcast. Uh, Steve told us some really interesting things that we really were a blessing to us. Hope that you'll uh, listen to them and be blessed as well. But we want to pick up with where Steve left off last time, if we may, Steve. Uh, you Up mentioned here. a young lady named Jenny. And she was the first person you met who was a Christian who didn't just model a pattern. She modeled Jesus's life. So she obviously showed a relational side that you hadn't seen before. And so you talked about what attracted that to you or attracted you to that. But as we begin today, I wanna to change gears a little bit and talk about the changes in your life as you began to learn more about the relational side of Jesus, Jesus as a person. How did he change what you did, how you did it, how you thought, how you related to people? By then you were married, uh, you, refer you referenced kids, grandkids, ministries, jobs, churches. Talk to us about the unique aspects that uh, relating with Jesus has brought in your life. Well, thank you, John. I'd, yeah, I'd be delighted to do that. I'll just give you a headline or two from where we left off. Those were mostly college days. And um, my, my intent was to go to law school. My dream was to go to the University of Kentucky Law School and set up a law practice somewhere in the state of Kentucky and kind of ride out my days. But this uh, revelation of Christ as my life and it being a personal uh, you know, union of lovers, so to speak, a, a real one-on-one, one-to-one, one-in-one, you know, relationship uh, seized me. And it brought, as I said last time, such joy and, and I think such energy. I mean, I was energized that I really wanted to tell people this truth. And I could do that as an attorney, I'm sure. But my career arc certainly bent in a different direction. Um, I considered going to seminary. Um, I took a job for the summer as a summer youth worker in a church in Northern Kentucky. And ironically, uh, we would say below the line, but providentially above the line. Um, it was the very church that Juanita Day, that downstairs neighbor, took me to 22, 23 years earlier. Mm. Uh, we had come full circle. In fact, I ended up pastoring that church and I was there for 10 years. 
uh, which is, I could tell you story after story about that, having been in the nursery, and then all of a sudden you're the pastor, and a lot of the <laughs> same people found that was, uh, that made for some interesting conversations. But I was working with a group of, of misfits from a housing project on the south side of Cincinnati, just there on, on the south side of the Ohio River in northern Kentucky. And the first thing we did was start a Bible study in Ephesians. And um, John Frank, I never got past the first verse mm. for the longest time. It ever called me a saint. Nowhere in my tradition had anybody ever called me a saint. And I'd been in church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday since I was six weeks old. And my emotions didn't validate that I was a saint. I didn't feel very saintly most days. But God said I was a saint. So I started calling myself a saint. I started calling these misfits a saint uh, to their face. Saint Mark, Saint Julie, Saint Barbara, Saint whatever the case may have been. And as we worked our way through Ephesians and right there in that first chapter, the third verse, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, I had never heard that before. That was just stunning to me. And, and I've never gotten over that <laughs> 40 plus years later. I've never gotten over blessed already right now with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ because of who lives in me. And I won't work my way through that whole letter with you guys, but that Bible study that summer, I was still planning on going to law school at that point. That Bible study convinced me that I needed, wanted, I don't know about being called or not, but I surely needed to tell people this good news and I wanted it uh, deep down in my heart. And so um, I became an associate pastor in this congregation, and we would just spend summers and weeknights and weekends talking about we're not what we once were. We're not who we were. We're not where we were. We were outside of Christ. We were sinners by nature. Uh, and now we are totally different because of who lives in us. And um that, as I said, that I, I never made it to law school. I stayed in that church for 10 years and uh, did some seminary classes uh, midweek and drove back and forth uh, to Louisville between northern Kentucky and Louisville and um, and just loved the ministry in that church. About three, two or three years into it, for the first time in my life, I heard somebody saying out loud what I was hearing in my heart. Mm. Someone invited me to a retreat in Indiana where a fellow by the name of Dan Stone was speaking. I had never heard wow. him. And for the first time in my life, I heard somebody saying outside what I was hearing on the inside. Hmm. And the Holy Spirit had opportunity to confirm that over and over and over again. And, and as Frank knows, uh, you know, Dan and I ended up traveling together for about 20 years until his death, um, uh, sharing this good news in so many different ways. But this reality of the person of Christ as my life, as Colossians 3, 4 said, was just enveloping, as you can imagine, every dimension of that life. Christ is, is my life for marriage. He's my life for parenting. He's my life vocationally. He's my life socially. Uh, he is my life. I do have a supply of godliness readily available for every dimension in my life. And, and, and that 
whole idea, uh, again, in Colossians of Christ having the preeminence began to make sense. That, you know, we're not in some kind of hopeless hierarchy of what comes first, second, third, fourth anymore. Uh, that's one of those kind of mechanical ways of trying to sort out your priorities and make life work. But Jesus Christ really is my life, first place in every dimension. So he's no different in my marriage than he is in my pastoring, than he is in my parenting, than he is in my friendships, than he is when I'm out fishing. He is no different. It's the same source. Uh, it's the same dynamic of taking what he has freely given me and freely given it away to whoever's in front of me. And boy, you're, you're liberated from putting on a pastor hat or a husband hat or a daddy hat or a grandpa hat or a good old boy hat or whatever it is. You get to be you. The you God made you to be before the very first let there be. Mm. Uh, th this person he designed to receive and contain and uniquely express his life for all of eternity. And, and I, I think a, a pivotal point in that, let's just maybe start with the marriage, because that's what came next after um, hearing Dan soon after uh, Ella and I were married. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll move it all the way up to an experience that we had that probably encapsulates this as well as anything and how it spills over into every dimension of, of living. We lived in a parsonage just across the street from this church. And... Um, we were hosting um, a baby shower for a young couple in our church, Ellen and I were, uh, the next day. And this was a couple of years later. We already had at least three of our children. I don't think Gabe and Rachel had been born yet, but I think three of our children were in place. Maybe all five of them were by now. It's kind of blurry. But anyway, I know, you know, uh, it was busy. I was pastoring a church with 600 people in it. And we've got three or four or five little kids, you know, roaming around the house, all three and under, because there were two sets of twins. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. Uh, Ella was, you know, tired as I was. And I thought, man, I, I love to fish. Frank knows that. And that's kind of how I recharge. So um, I figured while I was at church, you know, I got my sermon ready for Sunday. And, and uh, if I go home tonight, this was Thursday. If I go home tonight uh, and get, you know, I'll fix a dinner. I'll cook out or something. I'll give the kids baths and maybe I can go fishing on Friday and I'll kind of get to recharge and then we'll host this party for the church on Saturday. And so um, to make that long story short, guys, I won't belabor the point, but it just kind of, I think, testifies to your question about how this affects every dimension of living. I was still prone to manipulation. <laughs> I wasn't totally oh, into yes. ministry. <laughs> in those days. Uh, Steve, I have a degree in manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I, um, I went home and I said, hey, let me cook supper tonight. Why don't you let me give the kids a bath? You need a break. And um, let, me, let me put them to bed and you just kind of relax and I'll, I'll take care of the evening. And, um, and, and so that was all done and taken care of. And we'd put the kids to bed and, and Ella said, well, what are you going to do tomorrow? I said, well, I don't know. I said, I'm not really sure. I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Fox? She, said, she said, is you, you got your sermon ready to go for Sunday? I said, I do. And, and any appointments tomorrow? None at all. And she said, you know, you haven't been fishing in so long, Steve. Why don't you go? I'd be okay with that. And I thought, wow, there is a God, you know, <laughs> um, 
but but I thought what I actually said was, well, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. But um, now that you mention it, I think I will. And so I got up early the next morning, had a little 12 foot John boat that I threw in the back of a pickup truck. And I was putting that in, in the back and, and Ella said to me, Steve, come here just a minute. You see that porch out back? Before you go, can you just knock that trellis off that, that's already falling off and there are no flowers growing on it anyway? I said, yeah, I can do that. Knocked it off through the, the, the trellis pieces out behind the garage and I got in the truck, just was backing it up to pull it out of the driveway. And I said, Steve, Steve, you see where you knock that, that trellis off? The paint doesn't match what's underneath there. <laughs> you think you could just touch that up for me before you go? Going, yeah, I, 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 can, I can touch that up before I go. Got some paint out, slapped a little bit on the poles where the trellis was attached through the paintbrush in a bush. <laughs> I'll clean it up when I get home. <laughs> Got ready to back out of the driveway and Ella said, Steve, Steve, look at that. That paint you put on there, it doesn't match the new or the old paint. They don't go together. Guys, a five-minute trellis job turned into eight hours of painting a back porch. Hmm. And I was back there just fussing and grumbling and complaining. You know, it was a parsonage. The trustees should be over here doing this, guy. I don't have any equity in this place. Why am I the one doing the work on this piece of property? I should be fishing rat, 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 rat going on. And, and I, I heard in my mind, I had memorized uh, uh, maybe a few months before Galatians 2.20. And I heard this in my mind. You've been crucified. And I said, you got that right. <laughs> you are being crucified right now on the back porch i am being crucified right now and and i was slapping that paint on just quoting that verse and here's how it came out guys i'm not making this up as i was kind of pushing paint up and down that pole with a big old four inch paintbrush i was saying i have been crucified with christ <laughs> it is no longer i who paint mm but it's Christ who paints in me. And the porch that I now paint, I paint by the life of the son of God who loves my wife, Ella, and gives himself up for her. Wow. Mm. And I think for the first time, guys, I mean, I, I had known some of the facts and said some of the words, but experientially, personally, from God himself, I knew the lover lived in me. It's a circumstance, Steve, that took truth off the page and into your it life. It sure did. Yeah. It yeah. sure did. And uh, you know how the truth sets you free. I, I, I was free from that point, and I think I've been mm -hmm. free. From trying to love anybody ever again you know it's one I'm thing to free. know that uh, jesus is savior and lord those are all pretty elevated thoughts but he's a lover yes. and that lover lives in you and wants to love through you through me exactly as he does through frank like he did through you yes. uh, that's a pretty stunning picture of our Jesus.
that he's Isn't a it? lover. And he's the forgiver. So some years later, even here in Florida, when a ministry partnership went south and all seven of us ended up in a three-room, 900-square-feet apartment, five teenagers in one room, Elle and I in another, you know, kind of a peace-neutral room in the middle, <laughs> hmm. I could say, it is no longer I who forgives, but it is Christ who forgives in me. And the people I now forgive, I forgive by the faith of the Son of God, who has forgiven every one of these people and given himself up for them. Wow. He's the forgiver, too, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's the lover. He's the blesser. It's no longer I who bless this adversary. It's Christ who lives in me. He's blessing this difficult person. The one he loved so much, he was willing to die for. He's the blesser. He's the forgiver. He's the lover. He's the peacemaker. You fill in the blanks. Yeah. Because when Christ is our life, you know, our lives are not compartmentalized any longer into the vocational dimension, the father dimension, the parent. And that doesn't mean there aren't roles that we fulfill, but I'm talking about how, and your question was, how do you live without, <laughs> you know, what, what difference did it make? He being my life, the lover, the forgiver, the blesser, the peacemaker, available in every moment, nothing too much for him, no darkness too dark, no meanness too mean for him to deal with. Now that's life. You know, Steve, I had a thought as I was listening to you, you took that verse in its totality. What I mean by that is I hear a lot of people in our new covenant movement that trying to teach this message of the new covenant that will focus on the first half of the verse that we've been crucified. The old man has died and we're neglecting to put that into the present circumstance of life that we are now living with his life. Do you know what I'm, I'm saying? Um, I do, Frank. And, and I think that's why, even though we can quote that verse, and it may be a while, you know, I, I had committed this to memory before it became truth to me personally. We are good at just kind of spouting the concepts and people even get excited about the fact that, oh, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, but that's just an opinion and a piece of information until you're in a moment like that. Hmm. You know, a difficult marriage, a rebellious child, uh, ministry partners that, that pull the rug out from underneath you or whatever the case may be. Then in that moment of tension or distress, we have a God-given opportunity to take our faith and put it in the one who lives in us, who says he's adequate for this. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's really a faith in the faithfulness of Christ, isn't it? He, right. He's faithful to deliver. He's faithful to come through. He's faithful to supply. Going back to the, the picture that I referenced last time we were together, if we have this giant toolbox, 
Well, it turns out really, Steve, what you're telling us is that when you open up every drawer, that all you see is the same tool. You see the same tool as Jesus, <laughs> yes. but that he manifests itself himself in the specific way that you need him to manifest at that time. He is what you need when you need it mm -hmm. precisely to do what he wants to do in and through you through this circumstance. So even though we have a giant toolbox, the toolbox has only one drawer and yeah. that drawer contains Jesus as multifaceted as we can possibly need for him to be. And, and that I found that to be true. You know, it, it's not like, uh, I, I'm not going to say I do this perfectly every single time, guys. I mean, I'm, I'm learning <laughs> along the way and, I, and I'm, I'm learning more quickly that when, wait a minute, that wasn't Jesus coming out of me. Let me stop right now and agree with the Holy Spirit on that point and back up and start all over again. But I, I have that supply of himself as you said, John, for every contingency, for every temptation. I mean, I have indwelling sinless perfection living in me. I do not have to sin just because I'm tired and hungry and angry and vulnerable. I don't have to. There's a life in me that's deeper than all of that stuff. You know, the old wrong me, devoid of that, was crucified with Christ. This new me, joined to Christ, has access to that drawer, if you will, John, to stay with your idea, yeah. uh, in every temptation of life and with every directive of life. So we're constantly saying to people, please, please, please don't see the temptation against just you. Just you was crucified with Christ. See the temptation against the life of the Son of God in you. Please don't read your Bible and see the directive or the command to forgive 70 times seven or go the second mile with somebody against just you because just you died. You have a second mile life in you. You have a 70 times seven forgiver in you. You see that directive coming against the life of the son of God in you. All you need in that moment to honor God and be an expression of his life is already in the son of God who abides in you. So Steve, can we put this into a radical declaration that he is sufficient even when our spouse and kids aren't cooperating? <laughs> you bet you can. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's taking it a little too far, Friedman. <laughs> and you don't, you don't need any willpower to do that, Frank. Yeah, that doesn't take right. any willpower at all. It simply takes consent. Mm. You know, when I walk into a room and it's full of darkness, I don't have to generate any light. I don't have mm. to try hard to generate light. I just got to go to the wall and consent to turning the switch on. Mm. And so you and I have got that option in the darkest of marriages or in the most frightening of, you know, young adult situations to a parent who's about to make a decision they're going to live with for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. In every one of those moments, because who lives within us, we have holy options. He is sufficient. You can take your own strength and apply it if you wish, and you can try to provide your own sufficiency anytime you want to. But you got to go back to that story of Jesus bypassing or intending to pass by the rowers trying to get to the other side of Lake Galilee in their own strength. The scripture says what? He intended to pass them by? <laughs> 
meaning what? He intends to pass the self-sufficient by. Do it on your own if you want to. Take a good holy whack at it. You might have a decent testimony if you come out on the other side. Hmm. But learn to go with not I, but Christ. Hmm. I don't have the sufficiency. I don't have the adequacy, but he does. And he is joined to me so I can say in faith, I do. I'm complete in him. I'm perfectly saved. I have all I need, all the things we kind of alluded to last time. And, and I don't, you know, people every now and then, guys, they will accuse me of kind of preaching some kind of triumphalism. I don't even know what that word means when, I, when I'm accused of that. But I don't have any problems if it means, wait a minute, he always leads us in his triumph. Isn't that what the scripture says? Yes, <laughs> yes. If that's triumphalism, then I'm guilty. That's right. <laughs> You know, Steve, a thought that comes to my mind is a passage that many believers, perhaps all believers at one time or another, use to beat themselves up, and that is the Sermon on the Mount, Mm -hmm. in which Jesus portrays the ultimate picture of what full, complete obedience looks like. And it I know what you're saying is true, and it makes the reality of that sermon so much more accessible to us because we, in our own strength, don't even have to try. We just have to, what's the word you use? Consent. Consent to let Jesus do that through you and trust him to do it. Yeah, John, there's nothing in the Sermon on the Mount that's a burden to the life of Christ. No, there isn't. But it is a burden to a focus on works and effort and performance and flesh. Well, it is. And I think somewhere along the line, back in those Kentucky days and, and, and maybe around the time I met Dan, I think it was right after, but I was reading in First John about the commands of, of God are not burdensome. And, and I thought, I don't know what book you're reading, but I find a lot of things in there that are just darn near impossible. But, you know, the, the switch was flipped pretty quickly when you look at that through that New Testament lens. That yes, the, the commands in the book or in the Sermon on the Mount are just be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Take the ultimate one. They are a burden to the Adam life. They are no burden to the Christ life in me. Hmm. And, and they are, I think, as you said, John, I couldn't agree with you more. They are, everything in the Sermon on the Mount is an illustration of new covenant life. There's right. not a law in there. You know, as I'm listening to you, I have a, a dear friend, and this is the way he put it. He said, every time you see a command in the New Testament, look at it as a promise yeah. of the yeah. life that you've been given. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, and I think the whole idea is come to the, you know, read the Sermon on the Mount, read it, read it, read it, please read it, come to the end of it and say, only one person can live like this. <laughs> That's right. I know who he is. I know who he is. I know where he is. All right, Jesus, you live your life as me. Yeah. Make it so, sir. Make it so. That's my Make it so. I, can, I consent to you being yourself in me. Yeah. Being yourself through me. And, and as we kind of said from the beginning, uh, you know, in terms of where our time together here might go, you never know for sure. But, you know, th- this to me is the answer to how has that affected these different dimensions of your life? 
You know, they're the same dynamics. They might play out in different aspects or realms or dimensions of marriage and family, but there's really not that much different about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Steve, you have given us and our listeners some, some amazingly helpful insights into how to approach life, uh, the day-to-day existence, trusting your Savior as the lover and forgiver and restorer in them. Thank you for that. And as we're wrapping up today, I want to ask you, if there's one supreme revelation, one last thought that you would like to present to our listeners, sir, what would that be? (laughs) You know, this might sound a little trite, Uh, But, you know, the supreme revelation is the person of God that Jesus Christ reveals him to be. You know, eternal life is this, Jesus said in John 17, 3, that you would know my father and the one whom he has sent. And I think it's paramount whether you think you are exchange life, union life, you know, cross life, victorious Christian life, whatever it is, whatever camp you think you're in. I think it's paramount you remember who the life is and it's always personal and the person of Jesus Christ who he is and where he is will change everything about the way you live but it's the way you live that changes you I'm not a hollow straw that he just kind of pours himself through when he needs a tool to work on somebody with (laughs) This is a cooperation with his operation. This is a union of lovers. And the fruit of this is born of the intercourse, if you will, the interrelatedness, person to person. You can have all the biological, mechanical, systematic theological models that you want. But if you miss that it's about the person, and that he is enough, he hasn't got anything. Mm. Wow. You know, Steve, can I add one thought to that to take it maybe and wrap it up in a package? Okay. Um, You know, it's interesting that you shared earlier when you first got together, you taught Ephesians. When I first came to Grace Life Church, the first book was Ephesians. It's Hmm. funny how the spirit led us both to do that. And ironically, I spent an entire first day on verse one, that we are saints. And this person came up to me and she said, Frank Friedman, I don't care what you say, I'm a sinner. And I said, ma'am, I don't doubt that's what you do. You're probably doing it right now, but it's not who you are. But what hit me is this, as I listened to you at the end, we tend, I think, as believers to read the Bible. And I hear you say this a lot. And we say, I can't believe that, or I do believe that. But we've got to take this away from the that. And we've got to say, boy, I can't understand that. I can't wrap my mind around it. But Lord, I believe you and and turn it into a personal that this was a letter from our god's heart and mind to us 
It's not something to be discussed, to be debated. He, we're supposed to believe him. Yeah. Yeah. Letter to the Ephesians is more so than any other book, a mirror. And our father holds the mirror and says, daughter, son, this is how you truly are. Wow. And, and, and yeah, and I don't want to belabor the point or push you past a, a point of, of time frames here, John, but just to make that an amen that my own way, you know, I pastored this university church here for 22 years. And interestingly, it's not a law. It's not a rule. I'm not recommending anybody else do it. I'm just telling you what I did. I started every new believer in Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. Because I found out if they started in the Gospels, they tried to imitate Jesus. Yes. If they started with Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and learned about in Christ and Christ in them, they went back to the Gospels and discovered who he was and the difference he makes in them. Yeah. It's I, an I, amazing I this insight. Personal thing, Jesus is, is, is critical for us. Yeah, and we do just the opposite, don't we? Yeah, Holy Spirit can teach through Jeremiah if he wants to. That's where yes. a believer starts. Mm -hmm. I know we're not, I, I, but I'm talking about how important I have found those new covenant revelations to be and, and putting, you know, everything before the cross in the place God put it, you know, under the law. And yet now this law keeper who did it all perfectly lives in you. Turning mm -hmm. loose. Maybe to put it this way, the way you did last time, Steve. We begin the Christian life complete. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what Galatians, Philippians, Colossians are all about. Isn't that the truth? Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. <laughs> Steve, Frank, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your perspectives, your insight, and uh, I've been blessed. Hopefully our listeners have been blessed as well. Thanks again for joining this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Please, please check us out on our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Uh, give a listen to our social media platforms. And once again, remember today, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.